Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Ephesians 4, uh, verses 7 through 16 will be read. Uh, this passage can also be found uh, in the Pew Bible, it's the Blue Bible, uh, at your seat on page 977. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who had descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together again. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to receive this word, to believe it, for it to nourish us, equip us, Prepare us, Lord, for the work you've given to us as your people uh, to be built up in love as a body. Oh, Lord, bless us that we may see Christ afresh. In his name we pray. Amen. People have a lot of uh, different ideas about what the church is and about what a pastor does as well. This passage in talking about the ascension has a lot to say about pastor's role within a church and how it affects the church. We were in Rhode Island years ago when our children were small, and this in fact may have happened even before we had children, but it was, we were there, and in Rhode Island, the great holy day, the great celebration day among so many people that apparently are are pretty far from Christ is Halloween. It's the great day of worship. Uh, more or less, as we saw. And you get a feel for this and sometimes talking with people that live in the area. And we were talking with a fellow that lived down the road from this house we were staying. And he had an interesting job. He sold piano keys to people in Europe, firms in Europe. And he made them from calf femurs. I don't know where he got the little baby calves, but anyway... Uh, That's how he made his piano keys and sells them in Europe. Well, he was talking about that process, and he said, uh, there's a real problem, uh, a a cash flow problem. He said, I really need money to get to Europe, 
but I need to get to Europe to get the money to sell the things. And he says, it's, it's like what you do. He said, you get up and you speak, and if people like it, they give you money. <laughs> so that was it. And that's how I've operated ever since. <laughs> that might affect your uh, message, wouldn't it? <laughs> Talk about tickling ears, as Paul says, <clears throat> so that you get paid that day. Well, we, in this passage, it's interesting, as I mentioned, the role of leadership within the church. But it's also interesting how this leadership is to advance the ministry of every member in the church. And through this process, the whole church is built up to begin to image Christ more and more. Um, And so we're going to explore this. And notice our title. It's the unhindered enrichment of the church. And this is, I'm trying to underscore the fact that in Christ's ascension, We see here the defeat of enemies. In the very ascension itself, it says he led captivity captive. This is a way to say he destroyed his enemies. So unhindered now, he pours out his grace upon his church. His enemies can't stop him. That's the feel of this passage. So we're going to look at this unhindered enrichment of the church. First, that it's guaranteed by Christ's resurrection. And then we're going to see that it involves the leaders and teachers and then also involves every member of the church. And we don't want to downplay either role, either the role of leaders and teachers or the role of every member. And then finally, we'll see the end to which this enrichment is given is so the goal is Jesus Christ and conformity to him. So, the enrichment is from Christ to involve both leaders and members to the end that we will become like Christ. So, he is the source, the resource, and he is the goal of this work uh, as, this, it's, as it's laid out for us here in Ephesians. So, first of all, it's guaranteed by Christ's Ascension. Isn't it interesting how quickly he goes to the ascension when he says in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us. And you might not think he's going to jump to the ascension, but he says that's why it says he led captivity to captive when he ascended on high and he poured out gifts upon people. So he's taking this passage in Psalm 68 that celebrates the victory of the king and he's applying it to Jesus Christ saying that Christ himself defeated his enemies, and this enabled him to pour out gifts upon his church. So our existence as a church and our enrichment by his grace only is uh, uh, happens only because Christ in his death and resurrection and ascension has defeated his enemies. Colossians uh, 3 talks about this of how he's rendered them helpless uh, in his death and resurrection. And so in this also, he is uh, drawing our attention back to chapter 1 because he says he ascended on high, led uh, captives. Then he said he, uh, to, to make the case that the very one who descended on earth, who lived on earth, is the same one who ascended into heaven... He says in verse 10, he ascended far above all the heavens 
that he might fill all things. Now, this points us back to chapter 1 as a kind of shorthand for what he's already said in chapter 1. Because there, in talking about the ascension, it says he went to the right hand of God. That's chapter 1, verse 20. Far above all real authority, power, and dominion in every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. So that's what he's intending here when he says, far above the heavens, far above any power. And he renders all those powers helpless. None of those powers can stop him now. None of them can stand in his way. But it also says in chapter 1, he fills all in all. He fills everything in every way is the NIV translation. It's a good translation. So he says that here, doesn't he, in verse 10. He ascended above everything in order to Fill all things. This indicates the kingly presence and rule of Christ that pervades the cosmos. And it certainly pervades the whole world and pervades all the people of the world. So we say or sing the song, This is my Father's world. It'd be really accurate to say, This is my Savior's world. It is His world now. He is the ruler over it. He is exercising his rule. There's not one small patch of humanity on this earth that is ignored, that's not taken into account, that's not overseen and governed for his own purposes as he gathers in his people, he preserves his people, he grows them and fills them and makes them fruitful and grows them up into Christ Jesus. He's ascended to fill all things in order that he might accomplish this for his church. You see, unless he filled all things, unless his power pervades the whole universe, how could he be free, unhindered, to bless his people? He must be the sovereign over all in order to enrich his people unhindered. And so... He's rendered his enemies helpless to stop this. He's conquered all the forces that would stand against him so that his grace is poured out in this unhindered way. And the giving of gifts really is the indication that his foes are vanquished. He pours out his gifts upon his church. He supplies his church so that it continues to flourish in, so, in spite of so much opposition from within and outside. He demonstrates his defeat of the enemy as he richly pours out his grace upon his church. And so I would say this in light of what we are about to do in planting this uh, Trinity Presbyterian church. Uh, we have concerns, don't we, that we're losing so many people. And there is this mutual sacrifice on both sides, both of us recognizing there will be so many people that we don't have, that we did have, whether you're going or you're staying. And I want to suggest that in spite of this, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be unhindered in richly blessing both churches with all the grace that they need to accomplish what he is calling them to do. He richly gifts his people and graces his people, notwithstanding their condition, their circumstances, their numbers. 
I looked up a few numbers concerning the church in Japan, the, what we would say is the closest thing to our denomination, uh, Presbyterian churches in uh, Japan. There are, at this time, in all of Japan, 2,200 members of Presbyterian churches. And they constitute 70 congregations, almost 70. You do the math, that's about 30 people in every congregation. 30 people. And in that context, they are thrilled to have 30 people because it's so difficult to see people converted in Japan. And you know that Christ richly blesses each one of those congregations, supplies it what it needs to stand against uh, a society that uh, has turned against Christ. And we, who, the, the, the Trinity Church that will form, will make like four or five of those churches. And we who stay will make something like 14 or 15 of those churches. It's interesting when you, you think about that uh, and how God is supplying their need in such difficult circumstances. Uh, do we think that he will not supply our need as well? And also, I want you to bear in mind, and, and I think this is part of why uh, this, we're given this emphasis that he who descended is the one who ascended, that the very one who descended we know, it. We, we, we see his mercy and his graciousness, don't we, in the scripture account. We see how he deals with the blind or the lame or lepers or the woman with the flow of blood or the, the widow's son or the servant's daughter, just person after person. How he had compassion on the multitude. When they came out, he was trying to take a break because he, he discovers that John the Baptist has been killed. It says he pulls away and the, the people still come after him. And instead of saying, why don't you leave me alone? It says he had compassion upon them. He never stopped giving himself away lavishly on everybody who had need. He is the one who is, is exalted. He is the one who richly provides for you and me and all of your particular needs and all of your helplessness and all of your weakness and all of your struggle. It's the same Christ. And don't you know that with joy does he exercise his sovereign rule over all things in order to bless the people for whom he has died? So we must... We must expect him constantly to enrich us in every way that we need. Uh, And again, notice about this grace or or these gifts that he pours out. He calls them his, grace was given to each one of us, okay? Grace. So our belonging to the church and our capacity to to contribute to the church is all of his grace. Paul talks about this earlier in Ephesians 3 about himself. He says, it was God's grace that was given me to preach the riches of Christ. It was all mercy. And so it's not because you deserve to be here. It's, it, it's, in fact, you may sense I've got so many weaknesses. I've got so much failure. I've got so much sin in my life. Yeah, it's grace, though. 
It's grace that God gives you and me, the privilege of ministering his grace to one another. And if this grace is spread out over the whole congregation, then we've got to be together. We've got to commune. We've got to be interdependent. We've got to know each other and benefit from being with each other because his grace is spread out in that way. And it's given this grace to, that I have or you have, it's given for others to share, for others to have. And that's why I believe that uh, we, when we talk about the means of grace, the word and prayer and, and sacraments, that we really have to underscore fellowship. It's an it's amazing means that God uses to convey grace to us. So this is God uh, in the Lord's ascension. Uh, we are guaranteed this enrichment of his, his people, unhindered. Uh, for all of us to participate in this wonderful grace and privilege of being used of God in each other's lives. And then it's interesting as he talks about this grace that is given, then after describing and having this parenthesis in verses 9 and 10, he picks that up again, and this time instead of saying he gave grace, he says he gave grace apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. So it shows that foremost in his mind in this imparting of grace and gift to the church is the giving of this leadership for the church. Now, apostles and prophets, we believe, are offices that no longer exist. And Earlier in Ephesians 2, verse 20, he talks about the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And by the way, these are New Testament prophets, okay, that with the apostles were used to bring about, uh, to, to give the new revelation of Christ, to explain the uh, coming of Christ and what it means. It says uh, later in chapter 3, verse 5, that those things not known in other generations have now been revealed to his apostles and prophets. So that's the, the group that he's talking about here. But, of course, evangelists and shepherds and teachers continue. And I want to focus on the shepherds and teachers. You're to take that as one person, basically, pastor teachers. And I want to underscore that it's not just teaching elders as we have in our church, but it's our ruling elders as well. Because in the New Testament, you can look at Acts 20 or 1 Peter 5, when it talks about elders, it says the elders are to pastor the flock. They are pastors because they're called to pastor the flock. They're also called overseers. That's the word episkopos we get for, for bishop. Uh, so... The, the, the same person is spoken of who's an elder or uh, overseer slash bishop or a pastor. And I, I, I do, I think I need to, to announce this, that um, Jerry uh, Boltz has indicated that he wants to be called from now on Bishop Boltz. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, and, and really also this is another thing. I just heard this, that Alexis wants to be addressed as Lady Bishop. Uh, so... <laughs> That's just what I heard. I don't know. You just don't know about this. So those of you who are going to Trinity, you just need to get used to the proper way to address them. But it does give this uh, focus uh, for the, the work of the elder uh, or the, the leaders, the, the elders of the church, that we are to, uh, seeking to equip saints for ministry. Uh, 
and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, but one of the, uh, th- this is encouraging that we realize that everybody must be involved in this ministry. Everybody must participate in this ministry if we're to be built up into the likeness of Christ. And so this word that he uses to equip the saints uh, is it means to prepare the saints or to supply the saints. And in the background even is the repair. Because this word is used to mend nets. Okay, Restoration of saints. So now that's not as prominent as equipping and preparing. But it's also included in this idea. Everything necessary to bring them to the uh, ability, the capacity to minister, do this work of ministry. And... Of course, it's our uh, prayerful hope that in equipping these many years for uh, this group that is leaving for Trinity, that we have truly trained them for the work of ministry and to see them accomplish that ministry in this new church. Now, this enrichment, this focus of enrichment involves every member. I want to point out the, the parallel between verse 12 where it says... Saints, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ with verse 16, where it says each individual part works properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in both cases, it, it seems like this, it's saying the same thing, that the saints as a whole are involved in this work of ministry and Each one is involved. Every joint he talks about in verse 16 uh, is is bringing its own supply uh, to help with this building of the whole of the body up into the likeness of Christ. And it's interesting also along those lines that each one of us has been given grace according to this measure of Christ, okay, that Christ has measured or assigned to each one of us grace. And that same language is used in verse 16 to say when each one fulfills its assignment and does its assigned work, then we're built up in Christ. So he is very purposeful in your being a part of this fellowship or whatever fellowship you're a part of. And purposeful so that you specifically are given gifts that then provide an assignment that you are to engage in in order to bring about the fulfillment of the body. And no one is left out of this. And so when we read many times that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work, that's not good, okay? That's not right. That's not what God's called to. I'm not, I don't care about the 80%. Let them do whatever they want to. They can show up on Sunday morning, go home. I don't care. It's that 20% that I'm after, you know. No, the 100%. The 100% has been gifted. The 100% is to be engaged in every way possible in the life of the church, whether it's Sunday school, small group, uh, Bible studies, ministry opportunities within the church, uh, involving ourselves in one another's lives so that we can build one another up in Christ. This idea of building up the body is 
given to everyone. For instance, Romans 14, 19 says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's everybody's job, okay? We're all responsible. You may think, well, it's the pastors, the elders that are responsible for the building up. Well, we're responsible to equip you and prepare you so that you can do that work so that this body will be built up. Or Romans 15, 2, let each of us Please his neighbor for his good to build him up. All of you have been assigned. Every one of you have been assigned by being graced from Jesus Christ, gifted from Christ to participate in this work. And it's only as you participate and all of us are involved that the body will grow and be built up in love. Now I want to mention in this ministry that every body has, every person has, the content of this ministry and then its context, okay? There's a specific content that seems to be indicated in this passage of this work of ministry that brings, uh, that builds up the body of Christ. And you see that in verse 13, because he says, here's the goal that we will attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so, this knowledge of the Son of God seems to be the, uh, since it's the goal, it must be what is being promoted in ministry. What is the centerpiece of ministry is this knowledge of the Son of God. Or later, that we're to grow up into Him who is the head, into Christ. And so, as everyone is involved in equipping one another, we apparently it's that The knowledge of Christ is proclaimed from the leaders of the church. And then that knowledge of Christ is discussed among the body of the church. We begin to encourage one another with the knowledge of Christ and the glory of Christ. We bring it to mind. We remind one another and comfort one another with this knowledge of Christ. But the centerpiece of all that we do is Christ. And Though it includes every kind of service that we give to one another, the heartbeat of it, the content of it, is Christ. Christ. This seems to be indicated later when in chapter 5, verse 18, he's talking about the whole body involved in worship. And he says, everyone is to speak to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You see, so the whole body is speaking to one another even in worship, it says. And in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. And that means it's being given to each other and spoken to each other, this word of Christ. And you get this also in verse 15 here, because each one of us is speaking the truth in love. That's not just the leadership. Each one of you are speaking the truth. And truth from chapter 1 verse 13 is the gospel, okay? So we're speaking the gospel into each other's lives, speaking the gospel into each other's particular circumstance or struggle or devastating uh, event. We're keeping the gospel alive and well in each of our hearts, That's the word of Christ. You see, we're letting it dwell richly among us. So, yes, there's the leadership, you know, 
we, we take the lead in trying to proclaim this gospel and expose you to this gospel, expose what the scriptures teach. But the body itself is to be doing that same work uh, derived from the teaching of the uh, leadership of the church. We're to comfort each other in it and encourage each other in it, exhort each other to trust this gospel and rest in this gospel and live out this gospel. So this ministry uh, is never separated, right, from this wonderful knowledge of Christ that is going forth. But then it's interesting, not only the content of this ministry that you all are engaged in, and that certainly shows that all of us must be growing in this gospel. All of us must be delving ever more deeply into this gospel and not push that off to the side and say, well, that's somebody else's job, not mine. No, this indicates every one of us is to be speaking truth. Every one of us is to be speaking the gospel into each other's lives. But also the context, not only the content, but the context of this ministry is love. He says, speaking the truth in love. And what is truth if it's not bringing us to tender love? If it's not bringing us to what we will end in the way this chapter begins, that we're walking in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. So in that atmosphere, we're speaking the truth. We can't believe the truth of the gospel of Christ's love without further and further being brought into that love and that love being lived out in our lives. That love is the exhibition of the truth that we speak to each other. That love is the very demonstration of the truth that we speak to each other. It's the sweet fruit of that truth. And if we are known for our meanness or our pride or our our anger, our shortness, our disdain for others that we disagree with, It's as though we're speaking the truth and our life is saying, I don't believe it. It isn't true. Because look what it's not done for me. If you believe this truth, you become like me. (laughs) Mean-spirited and prideful. That's a real message, huh? A real message. Of all people, if we believe that we have the truth, it must exhibit itself in love. So, We're speaking the truth in a growing atmosphere of love. And then the final end in view is that we're built up in that love. That we become complete in Christ. That we grow up into the fullness of Christ. So that he is the goal of all of this ministry. This final love exhibited in our life. our lives. That's why he says in verse 13, until we arrive to this unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's the same word used again and again in Acts when it says, we got to that city or we arrived at that city. So it's the idea of arriving and coming to this place. Of course, that won't fully be accomplished until Christ comes and fully renews us. But this is where we're going to. This is what we're moving toward constantly. This knowledge of the Son of God and this love. And, and I think it's beautiful to compare here uh, what he says earlier in chapter 3 in talking about what I think is 
the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, chapter 3, verse 18. And he says, I'm praying that you will know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So in both, both places, there is this knowledge of the Son of God, knowledge in one place specifically of the love of the Son of God that ultimately brings in our lives this fullness of God or this fullness of Christ, the fullness of this love being manifested in our congregation. And so we are becoming like Christ. We're trusting Christ. We're knowing and delighting in Christ. We're manifesting the character of Christ in our life. Uh, We're delighting in Him. We're loving Him. We're obeying Him. Uh, We're imitating Him. So fullness certainly means likeness. Uh, But this likeness is gained in this relationship with him, a relationship in which we realize we are loved by his grace and embraced by his grace and favor. So here is a bit of that structure throughout this uh, passage that he's poured out grace upon the church. It's ministered through the leadership of the church so that everyone participates in this wonderful sharing and living out the knowledge of the Son of God and the love of the Son of God so that more and more we will exhibit this unity and this beauty as the people of God. And isn't it interesting that in that context, he says, in this way, verse 14, we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. It's not just the knowledge, bare intellectual knowledge that guards you against the schemes of cunning and deceitful teaching. It's the whole relationship of God's people speaking the truth in love. It's because you have bonds of love and interdependence formed around the beauty and glory of Christ that you're defended against anything else that would pull you away from him. And that means also this knowledge of Christ. If if there's a de-emphasis on sin in our day so that there's a de-emphasis in the need of the work of Christ and the precious death of Christ to save us from sin... If there's a downplay in Christ being the central place in worship, the central place in preaching, preaching so that it's all about deepening our dependence on Christ and our adoration of Christ. If preaching is pulling us away from that in any way, it's part of that deceitfulness that would pull us away from the glory and beauty of Christ and Him crucified. And there is... There is so many, there are so many sad instances of this in, in our day where that precious work of Christ is not the center of worship and life in a, in a church's body. So um, we've been graced to be a part of this forming of the people of God. And it's interesting that he calls us in chapter 1 the fullness of the one who fills all things. And that means that we are the manifestation of the unity of this love that he's going to bring about in the whole of creation. He's going to one day reconcile all things to himself. One day he's going to create a beautiful unity of love for all peoples, uh, all his people on the new heavens and the new earth. We 
are the beginning sign of that. We're the beginning emblem and symbol, anticipation of that. We're the announcement to the world of the reality of the reigning of Christ over all things by the beauty that we have as the people of God who love each other and who are centered on the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the privilege that you have. That's the privilege that I have of being a part of this church, being graced by Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, that you have conquered all your and our enemies so that nothing can keep us from the rich grace that you will give to us. We thank you for your kindness in giving us the favor of belonging to your people, which we do not deserve. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of standing in the way of God's wrath on our behalf so that now there is no condemnation, so that now we have peace with God. Now in his favor, we are given a place with God's people to minister your grace and build the body up into the love of Christ. Oh, Lord, bless each one of us that we will be encouraged, that we will be at rest, that in shalom and peace we will ask and move forward, Lord, to seek this, to see how you would use us in your church. Amen.